Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for joining us once again for our Arab Shabbat broadcast here on B'nai My name is Ephraim Judah with Lion to Land Ministries, and from our family to yours, thank you for making us a part of your Sabbath routine. We welcome you in all the ways that you might be watching, uh, whether that's on Facebook Live, uh, our mobile app, any one of our television apps, or online. Uh, we thank you and we issue you a hearty Shabbat Shalom. Uh, right now it is August 14th and we are gearing up and getting ready for the Feast of Tabernacles um, that's coming up here in October. Uh, that is our biggest event of the year and uh, there still is an opportunity. If you have not signed up yet, um, we still have plenty of tent sites available. Um, if you want to come and join us and be a part of that appointed time, please go to tabernaclesevent.com and register your family there. And we hope to uh, the Lord will bring all of the brethren to Chandler, Oklahoma and that we can celebrate His Feast. Um, with all the brethren, with anointed times of worship, teaching, uh, kids programs, youth programs, fun for the whole family, and uh, what amazing, wonderful time that it is every single year that we uh, celebrate. As always, if you are blessed by this broadcast or anything else that we do here at Lion and Lamb Ministries, we always ask that if it would, the Lord would stir in your heart to make a donation, you can do so at llgive.com. There's many different ways that you can uh, donate there, and you can avail yourself of those options. We uh, just continue to pray that we can be used mightily by the Lord to minister to you, to encourage you and strengthen you in your faith, wherever you might be around the globe as well. And we thank you for being a part of this ministry as we have the heart to serve you, the brethren, the body of Messiah, and to serve the Lord and His kingdom. Once again, Shabbat Shalom. Now let us set apart this Sabbath with the Kiddush and the family blessings. Shabbat Shalom and Hag Sameach to you. Please join with our family as we usher in the Sabbath. unto the nations, and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. Now, Kiddush, blessing over the cup. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Borei Pri HaGahafen, Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Amen. Chamotzi, Chamotzi lechem min haaretz. We give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch atadonai, Eloheinu melech haolam. Chamotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. 
Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Amen. Husbands, now let's bless our wives. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for my wonderful wife that you have given to me. I thank you, Lord, for her, and for I pray that you would bless her with your very best blessing. Bless her as she sees about the ways of the household, as she takes care of the children and educates them. And Father, I confess that I love her with all of my heart. And so, Father, I pray that you would bless her on this Sabbath day. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. Now let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. 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 Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Bahu et Adonai Hamvorach. Baruch Adonai Hamvorach Le'olam Vahed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michamocha. Michamocha. Ba'elim Adonai. Michamocha. Nedahar Bachudesh Norat Echilot Osefele Osefele Who is like you? O Lord among the gods, who is like you, Lord, there is none else. You are awesome in praise, doing wonders, O Lord, who like you, O Lord. Amen. And now the blessing of the Messiah. Baruch atah Adonai, Elheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu et derech ha-Yeshua b'Mashiach Yeshua. Altogether, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Veshamru. Veshamru v'nei Yisrael et hashabbat, la'asot et hashabbat l'adrotam barit olam, b'nei avayom b'nei Yisrael otit le'olam, k'sheshet yamim asadonai et hashamayim v'et ha'aretz v'yom hashavi shavat v'yinafash. All together, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from his work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema, if you'd all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. 
Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem, Kivod Malchuto, Le'olam Vayed, Yeshua HaMashiach, Hu Adonai. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'achavta. Ve'achavta et Adonai Ochecha b'chol levavcha uv'chol nashicha uv'chol meodecha v'heyu hadevarim ha'ale asher nechim ezavcha hayom alevavcha v'shinan tam lavenecha v'depardabam b'shivtecha b'yetecha uv'lechtecha v'derech u'shakbika uv'kumika u'kershatam la'ota yadecha v'heyu latotavot b'inenecha u'chetavtam amazuzo b'techa uv'isherecha All together. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen.
sing to the Lord a new song. Let us bless His name. Shout joyfully to the Lord. Break forth in song. Daughters of Judah, rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Say among the nations, the Lord God reigns. Our Lord God reigns. Sing it with us. Holy is the Lord, our God. Holy is the Lord, our God. Holy is the Lord, our God.
garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Let the oil of gladness flow down from your throne. Put on the garments of praise for the spirit of Joy is my strength, O oh Lord, my strength alone. Make these broken weary bones, make these broken weary bones rise to dance again. Let this dry and thirsty land with the river. Lord, I Fixed on you, we are waiting for your garments of praise as we praise your name. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the 
shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. Shabbat Shalom. 
Please join us for the reading of Parashat Riyeh. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you listen to the commandments of Adonai Elohim, which I am commanding you today. And the curse, if you do not listen to the commandments of Adonai Elohim, but turn aside from the way which I am commanding you today by following after other gods which you have not known. It shall come about when Adonai Elohim brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it, that you shall place the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Eval. Are they not across the Yarden, west of the way toward the sunset in the land of Canaani, who live in the Arva, opposite Gilgal, beside the Oaks of Moreh? For you are about to cross the Yarden to go in to possess the land which Adonai Elohim is giving you, and you shall possess it and live in it, and you shall be careful to do all the statutes and the judgments which I am setting before you today. Chapter 12 These are the statutes and the judgments which you shall carefully observe in the land which Adonai, the Elohim of your fathers, has given you to possess as long as you live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods, on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. You shall tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and burn their asherim with fire. And you shall cut down the engraved images of their gods and obliterate their name from that place. You shall not act like this toward Adonai your Elohim. But you shall seek Adonai at the place which Adonai your Elohim will choose from all your tribes to establish his name there for his dwelling. And there you shall come. There you shall bring your burnt offerings your sacrifices, your tithes, your contribution of your hand, your votive offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. There also you and your household shall eat before Adonai your Elohim and rejoice in all your undertakings in which Adonai your Elohim has blessed you. You shall not do at all what we are doing here today, every man doing what is right in his own eyes. For you have not as yet come to the resting place in the inheritance which Adonai your Elohim is giving you. When you cross the Yardan and live in the land which Adonai your Elohim is giving you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies around you so that you live in security, then it shall come about that the place in which Adonai your Elohim will choose for his name to dwell, there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and the contribution of your hand, and all your choice votive offerings which you will vow to Adonai. And you shall rejoice before Adonai your Elohim, you and your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. Be careful that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every cultic place you see, but in the place which Adonai chooses in one of your tribes. There you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. However, you may slaughter and eat meat within any of your gates, whatever you desire according to the blessing of Adonai your Elohim, which he has given you. The unclean and the clean may eat of it, as of the gazelle and the deer. Only you shall not eat the blood. You are to pour it out on the ground like water. You are not allowed to eat within your gates the tithe of your grain or new wine or oil, or the firstborn of your herd or flock, or any of your votive offerings which you vow, or your free, free will offerings, or the contribution of your hand. But you shall eat them before Adonai your Elohim in the place which Adonai your Elohim will choose, you and your son and daughter, and your male and female servants, and the Levite who is within your gates, and you shall rejoice before Adonai your Elohim in all your undertakings. Be careful that you do not forsake the Levite as long as you live in your land. When Adonai your Elohim extends your border as he has promised you, and you say, 
I will eat meat because you desire to eat meat, then you may eat meat, whatever you desire. If the place which Adonai your Elohim chooses to put his name is too far from you, then you may slaughter of your herd and flock which Adonai has given you, as I have commanded you, and you may eat within your gates whatever you desire. Just as a gazelle or a deer is eaten, so you will eat it. The unclean and the clean alike may eat of it. Only be sure not to eat the blood, for the blood is the life, and you shall not eat the life with the flesh. You shall not eat it, you shall pour it out on the ground like water. You shall not eat it so that it may be well with you and your sons after you, for you will be doing what is right in the sight of Adonai. Only your holy things which you may have, and your votive offerings you shall take and go to the place which Adonai chooses. And you shall offer your burnt offerings, the flesh and the blood, on the altar of Adonai your Elohim. And the blood of your sacrifices shall be poured out on the altar of Adonai your Elohim, and you shall eat the flesh. Be careful to listen to all these words which I command you, so that it may be well with you and your sons after you forever. For you will be doing what is good and right in the sight of Adonai your Elohim. When Adonai your Elohim cuts off before you the nations which are going in to dispossess, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, beware that you are not ensnared to follow after them after they are destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, How do these nations serve their gods that I may do likewise? You shall not behave thus toward Adonai your Elohim, for every abominable act which Adonai hates they have done for their gods, for they even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Whatever I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to, nor take away from it. Chapter 13 If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods whom you have not known and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for Adonai your Elohim is testing you to find out if you love Adonai your Elohim with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall follow Adonai your Elohim and fear him, and you shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him and cling to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against Adonai your Elohim who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery to seduce you from the way in which Adonai your Elohim commanded you to walk so you shall purge the evil from among you. If your brother, your mother's son, or your son's daughter, or the wife you cherish, or your friend who is your, as your own soul entice you secretly, saying, Let us go and serve other gods whom neither you nor your fathers have known, of the gods of the peoples who are around you, near you, or far from you, from one end of the earth to the other end, you shall not yield to him or listen to him, and your eyes shall not pity him nor shall you spare or conceal him, but you shall surely kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the people. So you shall stone him to death, because he has sought to seduce you from Adonai your Elohim, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Then all Israel will hear and be afraid, and will never again do such a wicked thing among you. If you hear in one of your cities, which Adonai your Elohim is giving you to live in, anyone saying that some worthless men have gone out from among you and have seduced the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods whom you have not known, then you shall investigate and search out and inquire thoroughly. If it is true, and the matter established that this abomination has been done among you, you shall surely strike the inhabitants of the city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying it and all that is in it and its cattle with the edge of the sword. 
Then you shall gather all its booty into the middle of the open square and burn the city and all its booty with fire as a whole burnt offering to Adonai your Elohim. It shall be a ruin forever. It shall never be rebuilt. Nothing from that which is put under the ban shall cling to your hand in order that Adonai may turn from his burning anger and show mercy to you and have compassion on you and make you increase just as he has sworn to your fathers. If you will listen to the voice of Adonai Elohim, keeping all his commandments which I am commanding you today and doing what is right in the sight of Adonai your Elohim. Chapter 14 You are the sons of Adonai your Elohim. You shall not cut yourselves, nor shave your forehead for the sake of the dead. For you are a holy people to Adonai your Elohim, and Adonai has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. You shall not eat any detestable thing. These are the animals which you may eat, the ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roebuck, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. Any animal that divides the hoof and has the hoof split in two and chews the cud, among the animals that you may eat. Nevertheless, you are not to eat of these among those which chew the cud, or among those that divide the hoof in two, the camel and the rabbit and the chiffon. For though they chew the cud, they do not divide the hoof. They are unclean for you. The pig, because it divides the hoof, but does not chew the cud, it is unclean for you. You shall not eat any of their flesh nor touch their carcasses. These you may eat of all that are in the water. Anything that has fins and scales you may eat, but anything that does not have fins and scales you shall not eat. It is unclean for you. You may eat any clean bird, but these are the ones which you shall not eat, the eagle and the vulture and the buzzard, and the red kite, the falcon, and the kite in their kinds, and every raven in its kind, and the ostrich, the owl, the seagull, and the hawk in their kinds, the little owl, the great owl, the white owl, the pelican, the carrion vulture, the cormorant, the stork, and the heron in their kinds, and the hoopoe and the bat. And all the teeming life with wings are unclean to you. They shall not be eaten. You may eat any clean bird. You shall not eat anything which dies of itself. You may give it to the alien who is in your town so that he may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreigner, for you are a holy people to Adonai your Elohim. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. You shall surely tithe all the produce from what you sow, which comes out of the field every year. You shall eat in the presence of Adonai your Elohim at the place where he chooses to establish his name, the tithe of your grain, your new wine, your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and your flock, so that you may learn to fear Adonai your Elohim always. If the distance is so great for you that you are not able to bring the tithe, since the place where Adonai your Elohim chooses to set his name is too far away from you, when Adonai your Elohim blesses you, then you shall exchange it for money, and bind the money in your hand, and go to the place which Adonai your Elohim chooses. You may spend the money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen, or sheep, or wine, or strong drink, or whatever your heart desires, and there you shall eat in the presence of Adonai your Elohim, and rejoice, you and your household. Also you shall not neglect the Levite, who is in your town, for he has no portion or inheritance among you. At the end of every third year you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in that year, and shall deposit it in your town. The Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance among you, and the alien, the orphan, and the widow who are in your town shall come and eat and be satisfied, in order that Adonai Elohim may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. Chapter 15 At the end of every seven years you shall grant a remission of debts. This is the manner of remission. Every creditor shall release what he has loaned to his neighbor. 
he shall not exact it of his neighbor and his brother, because Adonai's remission has been proclaimed. From a foreigner you may exact it, but your hand shall release whatever of yours is with your brother. However, there will be no poor among you, since Adonai will surely bless you in the land which Adonai your Elohim is giving you as an inheritance to possess. If only you listen obediently to the voice of Adonai your Elohim, to observe carefully all this commandment which I am commanding you today. For Adonai your Elohim will bless you as he has promised you, and you will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow. And you will rule over many nations, but they will not rule over you. If there is a poor man with you, one of your brothers, in any of your towns in your land which Adonai your Elohim is giving you, you shall not harden your heart, nor close your hand from your poor brother. But you shall freely open your hand to him, and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. Beware that there is no base thought in your heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of remission is near and your eye is hostile toward your poor brother, and you give him nothing, then he may cry to Adonai against you, and it will be sin in you. You shall generously give to him, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing Adonai your Elohim will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor in your land. If your kinsman, a Hebrew man or woman, is sold to you, then he shall serve you six years, but in the seventh year you shall set him free. When you set him free, you shall not send him away empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally from your flock, and from your threshing floor, and from your wine vat. You shall give to him, as Adonai your Elohim has blessed you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and Adonai your Elohim redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. It shall come about, if he says to you, I will not go out from you, because he loves you and your household, since he fares well with you. Then you shall take an awl and pierce it through his ear into the door, and he shall be your servant forever. And you shall also do likewise to your maidservant. It shall not seem hard to you when you set him free, for he has given you six years with double the service of a hired man. So Adonai your Elohim will bless you in whatever you do. You shall consecrate to Adonai your Elohim the firstborn males that are born of your herd and of your flock, you shall not work with the firstborn of your herd, nor shear the firstborn of your flock. You and your household shall eat it every year before Adonai your Elohim in the place which Adonai chooses. But if it has any defect, such as lameness or blindness or any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to Adonai your Elohim. You shall eat it within your gates. The unclean and the clean alike may eat it, as a gazelle or a deer. Only you shall not eat its blood. You are to pour it out on the ground like water. Chapter 16 Observe the month of Aviv, and celebrate the Pesach to Adonai your Elohim. For in the month of Aviv, Adonai your Elohim brought you out of Egypt by night. You shall sacrifice the Pesach to Adonai your Elohim from the flock and the herd, in the place where Adonai chooses to establish his name. You shall not eat leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, so that you may remember all the days of your life the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. For seven days no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory, and none of the flesh which you sacrifice on the evening of the first day shall remain overnight until morning. You are not allowed to sacrifice the Pesach in any of your towns which Adonai your Elohim is giving you. But at the place where Adonai your Elohim chooses to establish his name, you shall sacrifice the Pesach in the evening at sunset, at the time when you came out of Egypt. You shall cook and eat it in the place which Adonai your Elohim chooses. In the morning you are to return to your tents. Six days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a solemn assembly to Adonai your Elohim. You shall do no work on it. You shall count seven weeks for yourself, 
And you shall begin to count seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the sanding grain. Then you shall celebrate the Feast of Weeks to Adonai your Elohim with a tribute of free will offering in your hand, which you shall give just as Adonai your Elohim blesses you. And you shall rejoice before Adonai your Elohim, you and your son and your daughter and your male and female servant, and the Levite who is in your town, and the stranger and the orphan and the widow who are in your midst, in the place where Adonai your Elohim chooses to establish his name. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. You shall celebrate the Feast of Booths seven days after you have gathered in from your threshing floor and your wine vat, and you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter and your male and female servants and the Levite and the stranger and the orphan and the widow who are in your towns. Seven days you shall celebrate a feast to Adonai your Elohim in the place which Adonai chooses, because Adonai your Elohim will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands, so that you will be altogether joyful. Three times in a year, all your males shall appear before Adonai your Elohim in the place which he chooses, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Booths. And they shall not appear before Adonai empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of Adonai your Elohim which he has given you. Thank you for joining us for the reading of Parsha Riyeh. Now, Riyeh, of course, is the word see, to have vision, to look at. We see in chapter 11, verses 26 through 28, it says, See, I'm setting before you a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you listen to the commandments of Adonai Elohim, which I'm commanding you today, and the curse, if you do not listen to the commandments of Adonai Elohim, but turn aside from the way which I'm commanding you today, by following after other gods whom you have not known. This parasha is all about spiritual idolatry. It's about adultery. The word see or look is for us to look and to see the idolatry, the adultery in our own lives that would cause us to go astray from the way that he has given us. This word rie appears eight times in the very first chapter of the scripture, Genesis chapter 1. It occurs in verse 4 where it says, Elohim saw, rie, that the light was good, and Elohim separated the light from the darkness. Our eyes are an incredibly important part of how we look at the world, literally. After all, seeing is believing, right? Of course, we know that there's much more to belief than merely sight, but this just illustrates how important sight is. In fact, it was sight that led us to the very first sin. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 says, Vaira and saw Haisha, the woman. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. It then says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, For Elohim knows in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like Elohim, knowing good and evil. Two verses later, Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 7 tells us, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear Adonai and turn away from evil. 
Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 and 23 say, The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? You see, our eyes, they cause us to go in the right path or they cause us to go astray. That's actually what the command of Tzitziot is about, which we see in Numbers chapter 15, verses 38 through 40. It says, Speak to the sons of Israel and tell them that they shall make for themselves tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and that they shall put on the tassel of each corner a cord of blue. It shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of Adonai. So as to do them... And not follow after your own heart and your own eyes. After which you played the harlot. Spiritual idolatry. Adultery. So that you may, be, may remember to do all my commandments. And be holy to your Elohim. We should be in the process of looking. Searching. Seeing the idolatry that's in our own lives. Purging it from our lives so that we do not go astray, but instead we can choose the blessing and walk in his ways. May his tzitziot be with us at all times. May we always look at his commandments and be aware that we in our own nature, following our own eyes, just like Adam and Eve, will fall into sin. But if we keep our eyes fixed on him, if we see him, if we re our king, then we will not fall astray. May your vision always be focused on him. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Uh, if you would turn in your Bibles now to the prophet Isaiah, to chapter 54. Uh, in this Haftorah, again, I would remind you that we're in a set of Haftorah teachings uh, they're called the Haftors of Consolation. We've already covered the first two of the seven. This is the third installment of that. And again, just to remind everybody, the Haftors of Consolation is a great homiletic teaching. In other words, what we're saying is it's a sermon. It is a very ancient sermon that has been given by the sages of Israel and the teachers of Israel. Uh, where we take these passages out of the last 27 chapters of Isaiah to carry a, a very clear message. Now, it's not a different message than what Isaiah said, but what Isaiah gave us was a very elaborate, very colorful, very majestic uh, view of the Messiah coming and what it would mean when the Messiah comes and things like that. And, but this sermonizing that's done, the Hoftors of Constellation, is to break that down into short chunks so that you can think through the process, you kind of see the whole thing that Isaiah has been expressed. This sermon is so powerful that there is reference in the New Testament made to certain believers who believed in this sermon, and that was what stimulated in their faith toward the Messiah. Uh, the title, the scriptural title for the Hoftors of Consolation is called The Consolation of Israel and the Redemption of Jerusalem. And we'll hit a verse here pretty soon 
that will say that very succinctly in, in a single verse. But all of the sermon is about that subject. It's about God's plan to console Israel and to redeem Jerusalem. And the way it's expressed is that God has someone very special that he is going to anoint that will accomplish this task. And by the way, the anointing is the meaning of the Messiah. The word Messiah means the anointed one. And so when Yeshua came as the anointed one, guess what he came teaching? He came teaching what we're reading in here, especially Isaiah's story of redemption. Now, one of the great confusions uh, that exists both for the Jewish community and for the Christian community is that of the three great works of God, creation, redemption, and restoration, both groups make errors with regard to exactly what is the timing of the great work of redemption and the great work of restoration. They have a tendency to fold them together. So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. The Christianity believes the Messiah has already come. I agree with them. Uh, I believe that Yeshua of Nazareth is the Messiah. He is the fulfillment of the prophecies. He is the Messiah come. And he came and he did the work of redemption. No question whatsoever about that. Um, but they also, the Christian community also says, oh yeah, and all the stuff about restoration, that's done too. And all things have not been restored since Yeshua came and did the work of, of redemption. It, he came and spoke of a personal redemption, but he did not speak of a redemption for the whole world. He did not speak of the whole world being at peace. You know, that's not what the prophecies of redemption were about. They were about us personally, you guess, getting corrected. Well, Christianity melds them all together and says, hey, you know, he came and did the work of redemption, and the work of restoration got done too. That's the reason why we're done with Israel and we're in the kingdom of God, blah, 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 blah. And by the way, if you think this is the kingdom of God, I, there's something wrong with you. This is a mess. And in fact, the prophecies say that the world will go on and will get worse, even after the redemption is done. And that God's people will be saved out of that. And that at the end, there will be a great uh, day of the Lord, a great judgment, a day of reconciliation. And then everything will be restored and brought back to God, including the whole corporate community of all of Israel and God's people. Now, that's Christianity's view. And they meld the two together and they make a huge mistake because they don't understand that the vast majority of prophecies about the second coming are talking about the restoration and it's still yet future. Now, the Jews, they know restoration is the ultimate thing they want to get to, and so they get confused about this personal redemption business. They want the restoration of all of Israel, the nation. They want the, the land restored. They want the world to accept them and, and things like that. So their point of view is to reject the testimony and the messiahship of Yeshua coming and doing personal redemption, that the redemption is part of stuff that happens at the end. In fact, they call it the final redemption. And that's when all the restoration takes place. So it all happens at one time, at the end of the ages. 
And so any idea of the God doing a work of redemption in advance of that, because they meld them together uh, so much. By the way, this passage that I'm going to read to you, it appears that they're both kind of together. It appears that redemption and restoration are, in fact, kind of one and the same thing. But the, the, if you don't rightly divide the word, if you don't accept the testimony of Yeshua, who did the works of God, and, and listen and understand God is still in the business of manifesting himself and his plan, and he had an intention of a whole lot more people being saved other than just the people of Israel, that the plan was for the whole world. If you lose sight of those things, then you can be confused by this. So with that said as an introduction, I'm going to show you some very powerful passages that talk about redemption, restoration, but they're not together. They are distinct elements and distinct works of God. So let's begin with, at Isaiah chapter 54, we're going to begin at verse 11. And, and, and if you recall, the first two installments was, Comfort, O comfort my people, Israel, Isaiah 40, verse 1. And then it became, But I have been forsaken you know, by the Lord, the Lord has forgotten me, the, the, the evidence of sin, how sin separates you from, from God. Now this one says, where the Lord stands up and he says something very bold, and verse 11, where he says, Oh, afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony, and your foundations I will lay in sapphires. Moreover, I will make your battlements of rubies, your gates of crystal, and your entire wall of precious stones, and all your sons will be taught of the Lord, and the well-being of your sons will be great. In righteousness you will be established, you will be far from oppression, for you will not fear and from terror, for it will not come near you. Anyone fiercely assails you, it will not be for me. Whoever assails you will fall because of you. Behold, I myself have created the smith who blows the fire of coals, brings out a weapon for its work, and I have created the destroyer to ruin. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that accuses you in judgment you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. This third installment is basically saying, Israel is saying, I've been forsaken by the Lord. Look how I've been forsaken. I am storm-tossed, and I am afflicted. I have no peace. My enemies are having their way with me. I've been kicked out of the land and scattered into the nations, for crying out loud. Israel certainly identifies with that. And that is part of the story of what has transpired with Israel. But here's the Lord's response to it. Guys, he's basically saying to Israel, he said, I'm, I'm going to turn this around to where that you are going to be held in esteem beyond anything you've ever imagined. That this will work out to the good for you. So it's a very positive and encouraging message to him. And where he gives this, to destroy, this description 
of them as a city where their stones are in antimony and their foundations they will lay in sapphires. Moreover, I'll make your battlements of rubies, your gates of crystal, and the entire wall of precious stones. Did you know that that is the exact description from Revelation chapter 2, 21 rather? Revelation chapter 21 describes the new Jerusalem, the one that is restored by the Messiah in exactly these terms. You ever heard the thing about the pearly gates? The pearly gates of heaven? Where do they get that from? Well, it's from the crystal gates. You know, crystal gates look like pearly gates. Pearls and crystals look very similar when you form a structure out of them. And so the famous, uh, the, the pearly gates is talking about the crystal gates uh, of this. So the very description that we use of the new Jerusalem, uh, the description we literally use for heaven, the gates of heaven, are, is this description. He said, this is what I'm going to do to you. This is what I'm going to do for you. This is where you're going to dwell. This is where you're going to live. And basically, he goes on to say the following, that in righteousness you will be established. You will be far from repression, for you will not fear and from terror from all that will not come near you. That's a description of the Messianic kingdom, where everlasting righteousness is established. There's no more enemies. There's no more terror. There's no more fear of the enemy coming against you. That's a description of the messianic kingdom. This is what I'm intending to do with you. I'm intending to take you to the kingdom. So you, here you are in sharp contrast. Say, oh, Lord's forsaken me. Woe's me. He said, wait a minute, that's not true. Let me tell you what my real plan is. My real plan is to bring you to my kingdom. Pearly gates. Battlements of rubies. Stuff talked about in Revelation chapter 21 that we read. Uh, what some have misconstrued as heaven, when in truth of fact it's a description of the new Jerusalem in the kingdom. And he goes further because the, the complaint being made by Israel, well, our enemies have risen up against us. Our enemies have harmed us and, and hurt us. And so the Lord says, look, Let's, let's make sure we got certain facts understood here. I'm the one that makes the coals of fire for the blacksmith. I'm, I'm the one that makes fire and the coals and they put metal into it and they get it hot and they come out and pound it out to make a sword with. He said, and I'm the one that can decide and build a destroyer who will ruin things. I, the Lord, I'm sovereign. I have all control on all of those things. And then he turns around and he says, but concerning you, no weapon that is created and formed against you will prevail against you. You know, if I'm the guy that can help make the weapon, then I can decide how the weapon's going to be or not going to be used. And so he makes this incredible promise to us about oppression will be far from us and that our enemies will not prevail, that they, in fact, will fail because of us. Uh, and that is a dramatic turnaround uh, from the heart of Israel believing that we are being defeated by the enemies, that we're being destroyed. And by the way, that, uh, that, that sense of that, we all experience individually. At various times of our life, we feel 
that we're oppressed, that uh, woe is us, uh, trouble has come to our life, uh, we're being harmed. Uh, God, where are you? When are you going to help me? And this same promise that's been made to all of Israel is made to us personally. There's no weapon formed that, uh, that I've formed that is against you. Um, and that, in the long run, the enemies will fail. Now, just to step back as a personal testimony, this passage of Scripture, for me, has always echoed the promise that God gave to Abraham in the, that I will bless those that bless thee and I will curse those that curse thee. You know, the Genesis 12, 3 promise. And in the course of my lifetime, in the course of my um, profession, my secular profession I had, there were men in my life who came in who did good to me. And there were other men who came in to do bad to me. And I can tell you that uh, there was a many, many instances, and I had many instances to prove this. God's promise to me personally about this has been made manifest. In other words, men who did good to me, they, were, they prospered, they were blessed, they increased. Uh, men who came to do harm to me, to curse me, uh, I thought they were in a very powerful position. I thought they were uh, doing well, but before long, they failed. Um, in one particular instance, I can recount for you that several men uh, in my corporate life conspired against me. Um, another program manager joined with other corporate officers to take issue with me, to, to be against me. Well, it, it kind of caused me to have to ship, shift in the company, and I didn't get to work on those projects anymore, and I felt bad about that. And I felt I hadn't been treated fairly. At, but before I left the company, and I left the company um, not too soon, not uh, soon after that, before I left the company, all of those guys that had come against me, for completely different reasons, they were all fired. You know, they shifted me out of a position, but they lost their whole jobs. And again, echoing in here, the Lord knows how they're treating me and what he has done with them. Um, I've, in the faith, and I'm not going to get into the specifics, but there are men who have spoken against me that are dead. And there's no doubt in my mind that the Lord took them out. Now, let me just offer, just as a parallel teaching to that, is you should be very careful speaking against another believer. That promise belongs to them, too. If you start messing with other believers and speaking against them, you are bringing curses on you. For everything you would put on them, it'll be put on you. So maybe we should be in the business of blessing. Maybe we should be rendering blessing to the brethren so that we might receive blessing as well. This is a, a parallel passage that speaks to the great promise of God to preserve and protect his people and to defend his people from the oppressor for it. And he reminds them in these Haftors of Consolation that this is who I am. This is the God I am for you. I have not left you. I have not forsaken you. I will comfort you. And by the way, I'll solve some big problems you have. And when it's all said and done, you'll be in a much better position than you ever imagined.
uh, from it. Very positive, very encouraging message. By the way, this is the message of the Messiah. The Messiah has come and has offered redemption in the face of your wrecked life because of sin. You feel oppressed. You feel sorrow. You feel sad. You, it's, your life is not working very good. And he says, oh, well, take my hand. Come on. I'm going to do some stuff for you now that's going to set your life on a whole nother scale, that's going to put you on a whole nother road, a whole nother path than the one that you've been doing. And he's, and I know, by the way, not only this, but heaven too is his promise to us with the gift of eternal life. Well, that's what this passage is talking about. Here's the promise. And the very description for the new Jerusalem that is given here by the prophet is the same one given in Revelation 21. Uh, the same description there for it as well. Now, our passage continues on, and he goes into another dynamic of how to get this into your life. So in chapter 55, he begins with these words, Ho, every one of you who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. What an incredible offer God gives. Let me explain basically what he said. He said, are you thirsty? Well, come on, you know, uh, you know let's quench your thirst. That's the basic need. Oh, I'm thirsty. You know, I'm, 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 I'm missing something. I need something. Well, well, come drink, if that's what you want. Very simple invitation. It's a little bit like Abraham saying to the Lord, well, come, just sit under the tree. Have a little bit of water, a piece of bread, when in fact something greater is planned. But if I can just get you to come a little bit with me, we'll just give you an offer of water and a little piece of bread. You know, come, if you're thirsty, come, I'll give you something to drink. But then it turns into uh, come by wine and milk. Well, I can't. I don't have any money. I don't have, you know, my life is such a wreck. I don't have resources available to me. To, to do all the great things that I know are great and I would love to do, but I don't have the wherewithal to do that. And the Lord says, no, no, no. The wine and milk that I'm offering to you, it doesn't cost any money. There's no cost to you. I'm going to hand you this gift card, and it says eternal life, forgiveness of sins. And you're going to be able to use this. You won't be using money. You won't be trying to come up with some of your resources. You're going to be using something that I've given you. And then that's how you'll buy wine and milk. Now, I find it interesting that wine and milk are the two choices that are offered here. Obviously, they're liquid refreshment uh, apart from water. They would be something substantive more than water, which was the initial need. Uh, milk, of course, it takes a certain amount of processing to do. In the case they're probably referring to in the Bible here is goat's milk. Well, you've got to have a herd of goats. You've got to feed them. You've got to take care of them. And then you've got to go milk them. And when you milk them, then you've got to figure out how to get the milk and do whatever you're going to do with it as a dairy product and to provide it so that it can be consumed. Same thing with wine. 
First of all, you've got to grow the vines, you've got to harvest the grapes, you've got to process them, and you've got to ferment them so that it turns into wine, and you've got to put them into wineskins. And there's a lot of labor that goes into making wine. The actual drinking of the wine is just the simple pleasure that comes from all of that amount of work. The same thing with milk. It's the simple pleasure that comes from a lot of work. And he's saying there's no cost to you because all the work that was done in it was done by me. You don't have to work for it. You get the benefit of it. You get the pleasure of it. Now, I also find it significant that the promised land is referred to as the land of milk and honey. That's one of the components for it. Wine is one of the components, like on Sabbath when we do Kiddush, we put some wine in a cup. Why do we put wine in the cup? Well, it's a, it's a delicate drink, and we're trying to render a blessing to the Lord and thanksgiving and praise to Him for life. And that He's granted us provision to live and to have peace. You know, Shabbat Shalom the peace of Sabbath, and we do it with a cup of wine, we, and so forth. So we know what the benefit of milk is, and we know what the benefit of wine is. One is about basic nourishment, the benefits of the kingdom. One is about the pleasure of life, the joy of life, and also, uh, you know, praising the Lord, you know, as a part of it. He says, come, don't buy it, I have it for you. Well, we're still obviously talking about the promised land. We're still obviously talking about the kingdom. We're still talking about the same things that he was talking about before. He goes on to further say the following. Verse 2, Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourself in abundance. You know, you take your resources and your energies and you use them on things that don't provide for you. One of the classic spiritual lessons that has to be learned by a young person if you're going to be successful as an adult is, uh, we say it this way, is you have to learn to say no to your wants and yes to your needs. Now, you go to work, and you get a certain increase from your work. Now, how do you spend it? Do you spend it on your needs so that it sustains you and you're able to continue? Or do you spend it on your wants for a small, simple pleasure, and then you starve? And you actually do harm to yourself. You know, um, that's one of the important things about teaching our children is how to expend their resources properly. And f there's a lot of adults running around in the world today have never learned this lesson and are just struggling from paycheck to paycheck because they've not quite learned that we need to work toward the needs. By the way, I want to remind everybody, when God says, hey, I will help you, it says he will help you with your needs, not with your wants. Oh, God, give me a Mercedes-Benz. He's not going to answer that prayer. Oh, God, help me to win the lottery. He's not going to help you with that prayer. Oh, God, I'm hungry. I need something to eat. He's going to help you with that prayer. Needs will get help by God. Let me tell you why God has this limitation. If you have a need, 
and you work to uh, complete it, then you can get to a point of satisfaction. You can get to a point of completion. This is how much the need was. You meet the need, boom, it, it's done. But in the case of want, you all know this, that if you try to satisfy a want, the want just gets out there further. Uh, Proverbs teaches us that there, and because want is lust, it's coveting. By the way, that's one of the Ten Commandments, don't covet. And the reason is, is because it's like the picture of a campfire. I've never seen a campfire that's burning there. I've never seen the fire ever cry out and say, oh, Monty, don't give me another log. I've, I'm completely satisfied. That last log you gave me was just right. And I don't know, please don't give me another log. No, he says, just give me another one. By the way, since I got that one, go get another one. And, he, and, and, and the same is with your eyes. Do you know that your eyes can never be satisfied? They can never be satisfied. There's always something more to see. This is one of the reasons why pornography is such a devastating thing for men. They, they want to see, they want to see, they want to see. They can never say stop because they can never be satisfied. Because it's with their eyes. Uh, the same thing applies to um, uh, greed. Uh, greed can never be satisfying. The guy that's always coveting and wanting, he can never do it. And that's the reason why the Lord says, do not covet. Don't do it. Say no to it. Uh, refrain from it. Now, all of those wants, and this is more of a bigger study, understand spiritually, but let me elaborate for just a moment. God gave us all of those wants. We call them, though, appetites. An appetite is a good thing if it's used properly. For example, God gives us an appetite for food. Why? Because you need to eat food to be able to sustain your health and your life and to live. If you all of a sudden lost your appetite, you know what they would classify you as? You're dying. And by the way, that's one of the signs of when people go into the final stage of death is they have no appetite to eat. They don't want to eat anymore. Uh, another appetite is lust, and that includes the eyes, the lust of the flesh, pleasure, and so forth, that you're pursuing just pleasurable things. You can never be satisfied. You know, the, the, the multimillionaires, uh, the billionaires that... They go traveling around the world and go to all these exotic places and they're riding on boats and yachts and, and, and all of these, you know, chalets and all these different things. They're not happy. They are not happy. They can never be satisfied with it. There's always something more. There's always, you know, cars. Every year they're going to put a new car out. Next year, your new car won't be new. You know? You're and, and so you're never satisfied. It never ends the process. It just continues to go on and on and on. Um, and then finally, uh, the last one is about sex. You have to say no to some of your wants, and you have to follow some basic rules that God has given about it. Failing to do so... You feed lust, but the lust doesn't go away. It just pops right back up. 
and it wants more. And it's like the fire gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and it still is not satisfying. And so you have to learn to say no to your wants, yes to your needs. And in this particular case, the Lord is reminding them and telling them, don't go go buy things that don't satisfy you. Don't go buy things that meet your needs. Focus. What is your need? Press in on that. Take care of that. That's where I'm going to be working with you. I'll help you with your needs. And then you will have success in your life. You do the other route, you go to the other way, uh, you're, you're buying yourself a lot of difficulty and a lot of trouble. Now, from that, he says the following. Uh, verse 3, Incline your ear and come to me. Listen, that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Stop, time out. Let me give you the Jewish interpretation of this. The Jewish interpretation says the mercies of David will be a descendant of David. It will be the Messiah. Now read that verse with that understanding. He says, incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the work of the son of David. As we said before, the Messiah came to do something personally for us. There's the promise. He says, look what I will do for you because of his work, because of his work of redemption. Mercy is associated with redemption. Mercy is not associated with restoration. Grace and mercy has to do with the things of redemption. And faith has to do with redemption. Restoration is when God cleans the whole thing up. There's no more issues. There's no more problem. But we're still dealing with things and contending with things. And this is what it says. The mercies of David will be addressing this. I absolutely love where in my Bible it says, I'll make an everlasting covenant with you. <laughs> Some translators try to say oh, that it's, this is really referring to a future covenant. Are you ready for this? The Jewish commentary says, oh, this is a reference to the new covenant. This is Isaiah talking about what Jeremiah calls the new covenant. By the way, who ushered in the new covenant? Was it not the son of David? Here's a verse saying this is what God intends to do. This is Isaiah. This is the prophets of Israel. These are the old prophets. And here he is talking about the very message of the Messiah. He's talking about exactly what the Messiah is going to be doing. You know, the whole time that I was in the Christian church and the Christian faith, and I believed in the Messiah, and I was around people that all believed in the Messiah, the Christ, and so nobody ever went back to this passage of Scripture and said, this is when Isaiah talked about what the Messiah would be doing for us. You know why they didn't? Because they had no idea this is what Isaiah was talking about. This is old stuff, you remember? Old stuff, flowery kind of majestic and looking and, and so forth. Uh, you know, Isaiah is the beloved prophet of all of Israel. It's the one scroll that is complete and intact from the, um, the, from the Qumran scrolls. Uh, it's a wonderful and an incredible book, and yet they can't see where it's talking about the Messiah. My Jewish brethren can't see it. My Christian brethren can't see it. 
But we as Messianic brethren, we should see this. We should see and understand this for what it is by hearing what he has to say. All right, so he, let me continue. Verse 4, Behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you will call a nation you do not know, and a nation will know you will, not, will run to it, because the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Now, that's a kind of a complex thing here in the modern English, but let me give you the shortened version of it, that this person who's going to come and give us the new covenant, he will be a leader and a commander for all of the peoples of the world. He will be the leader for all people. And Israel will be glorified. And all of the peoples will be flooding and coming to Israel to see the king of Israel, to find the God of Israel, to see this great thing that God has done through this nation for the benefit of all of the nations. One of the things we say about Israel is that they were, we have a destiny to be a light to all nations. That light is God. God is light. That light is the work of the Messiah. So that everyone will see the standard. Everyone will see the ensign. They will see the singular leader and commander. And all the people of the world will come to that. And as a result, come to the Messiah, the King, and come to the nation of Israel. That God has established to be a light unto all the nations. Just like a, like a, um, a lighthouse at the coast that shines in the darkness and guides the ships, you know, to where their journey needs to be. Yeshua stands up from the position of being in Israel like a lighthouse and guides all those peoples into safety, into the harbor. Amen? So this is our message that comes from this portion of the Haftorah's Consolation. Again, you see it's laced heavily with, quite honestly, Christian teaching. But it's Christian teaching that the Christians haven't been teaching. But it is teaching about the Messiah. And so it's very definitely a teaching, a wonderful teaching for us. Amen? All right. Uh, Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this Sabbath. And we thank you for the teaching that you've given to us this Shabbat. As we continue through the Hoftor as a consolation, I ask, Lord, that you would awaken our souls to see the great message that Isaiah came forth with, the great fulfillment that our Messiah has come, and the great destiny that is planned for us. We thank you, Lord, for not forsaking us. We thank you for comforting us. We thank you for providing a way for us to receive redemption and salvation. We thank you for all these things. And as we contend to you through the study, increase us and strengthen us to these understandings. In Yeshua's name, amen. Shabbat shalom to all of you. Shabbat shalom. If you would please now turn in your Bibles to the book of John, to chapter 4, where our Brit Hadashah portion will begin for this week. And as you open the scripture, let us turn this time over to the Lord. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, once again, that we can dig into your word and your instruction and that we can be blessed on this Sabbath day as we have uh, read and studied the Torah portion and the Haftor portion, Lord. Father, I pray that uh, this Brit Hadashah portion, that we would be blessed as we look into the words of the New Testament, Lord, as it uh, relates to the Torah and as it encourages us in our faith. Father, I pray that your word uh, just comes alive for us here in this time of teaching. We bless you and we praise you for everything that you do in our lives. We give you all the honor, glory, and praise in this place. It's in your Son, Yeshua, that we pray. Amen. Our Torah portion this week is entitled Re'eh, which means see, uh, coming from Deuteronomy chapter 11, where it says, uh, Lord speaking through Moses, is saying, see, I set before you blessing and curse. And again, Moses is teaching that final generation of the children of Israel in the wilderness, getting ready to cross over into the promised land. What follows is a uh, commandment, a plan for the children of Israel at some point in time, once you go into the land, to do something, something specific. And that specific thing is to go to the place where there is Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, a place that is called um, Shechem, and is also later would become uh, Samaria, and that they would go to these two mountains, and that you would go to one mountain, and you would bless one mountain, and you'd go to the other mountain, and you'd curse that other mountain, and that you would set up a monument, that you would write the words of this covenant on that monument, and that you would go to this place, and that this is something you will do when the children of Israel were to go into the land. What immediately follows that after uh, that in chapter 12 of Deuteronomy is then when God starts talking about how there will be a place that God will put his name that is the place in which you are to make sacrifices, the places where you are to worship him, and it is a prescribed place for the children of Israel to worship the Lord. And later on throughout the uh, Old Testament, we go and we see the story of the kings and, and the judges. And then King David is the one that then makes Jerusalem to be the capital. And God speaks through uh, uh, David to make Jerusalem to be that place where the worship of the Lord is to be. On Mount Moriah, where we will build the temple and the altar and the uh, Ark of the Covenant will be moved there. And that will be the mountain and the place where worship of God is done. Now, one of the things that we have here in, in the discussion of this is that um, we understand that the men, the children of Israel, used to make sacrifices to the Lord. And, and whenever we read back in the Old Testament, we see Abraham would set up an altar to the Lord, or uh, Isaac or Jacob would set up an altar to the Lord. Well, what's being described here now is that there is supposed to now be a place where all the worship of God is supposed to take place on this mountain or this place where uh, he is to be worshipped and where he will put his name. Well, there are different sects of Judaism, different uh, factions that uh, believe certain things. And one of the things that we will learn about and where it's referenced many times in the New Testament is that there is a group, this sect of Judaism, that is called the Samaritans. And the fundamental difference between the Samaritans and the rest of Jews is this that they believe that Mount Gerizim, the place where God called the children of Israel to go to that mountain to set up a monument and to, to perform this ceremony there, they believe that was the mountain that God put His name and that that's where all sacrifices and all worship of Him is supposed to take place. 
This contrasts mainstream Judaism and the history of the kingdom of Israel to know that and believe that it is Jerusalem that is the city of the king, that is the city and where the temple of to the Jews are and where we are prescribed to worship the Lord. And there's connections, of course, to um, the mountain and the place where Jacob laid his head and where he saw Jacob's ladder, that we believe that to be Mount Moriah and the, that same place and that there's a connection and this is the place where God has put his name to worship. But needless to say, we have this divide between the Samaritans and the rest of the Jews. And Yeshua, when he was walking around and talking amongst the people, there was all of this discussion, and people knew about this group called the Samaritans. And they were considered within Israel second-class citizens because they had a completely different belief system on where we are to worship the Lord. In fact, when the Messiah gives the, um, the parable of the Good Samaritan, where it's like all of these Jews, somebody was in need and all of these Jews just walked by, but it was the Samaritan that came and helped somebody. And that truly that is what one's neighbor is, was the one that helped, uh, that, that uh, took care of that person that was in need and exactly what they needed to do. And so, but again, the question was, well, this was a Samaritan. The Samaritan is my neighbor? That's who I'm supposed to uh, consider to be, to be my neighbor and who... who uh, who I'm to love or who loves and cares for me, this person that we consider to be second-class citizens. This is the, just the, the atmosphere and the culture at the time. Well, here we have a story and that is one of my favorite stories in all of the Gospels. And we're going to John chapter 4. We we're talking about the Samaritan woman at the well. When the Messiah was in the, the area and the, the, the city of Samaria, where the Samaritans are. And what happens that follows in this conversation is one of the most honest and direct conversations that the Messiah ever gave or ever said that is recorded for us in the Gospels. He was asked many times, are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? And Yeshua always had some sort of very coy answer to, then, to, to whether he was, um, you know, he'd say, well, who do men say that I am? Or who is this? Or and he always gave this sort of this, this coy response. In this story... This is when Yeshua actually directly answered the question and said, yes, I am the Messiah. And he said it to a Samaritan woman at a well. And we have to sit there and look at the story and be like, well, why, why was he so direct? Why, why did he say it so directly to her and not, not to someone else? And what's really going on here? What else did the Messiah speak about and talk about here in this situation that we need to maybe pay attention to. If he was so honest about being the Messiah, then what else was he honest about in this conversation? So let us go now to John chapter 4. Let's, let's read this story, as many of us are familiar with, but let's draw out some of these nuances and some of these things that, again, these words that Messiah spoke are always just, just beautiful, and this is one of my favorite, favorite stories from the Gospels. Let's begin at verse 5. So he, the Messiah came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sechar, near the plot of ground where Jacob gave, his son, gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Yeshua, therefore, being wary from his journey, he thus sat by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Yeshua said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. This is the culture, again, that I was describing earlier. 
And Yeshua answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are greater than our father Jacob, who gives us this well, the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock. Yeshua answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. This is Yeshua, you know, giving one of those sort of standard messages that he's shared where the whole term and concept of receiving everlasting life is very prevalent in the New Testament and things that he taught. And when the when he was in the temple during the Feast of Tabernacles, you know, he said, you know, whoever drinks me, drinks of me, will never thirst again. And that he uh, personifies himself as the living water, that if we partake of him, if we receive the life that he gives to us, we will then have eternal life. And so he uses these physical examples to explain these spiritual concepts of everlasting life. But what continues on here and what the Messiah continues to say to her gets a little bit more interesting and and an interesting point of discussion. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. And Yeshua said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Yeshua said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. First of all, she stops right there, and she's like, he says something to her that gets her attention, that knows that he knows something, and she immediately perceives, okay, This guy has my attention because he knows my family history, that she had had five husbands and that she was currently with someone who's not her husband and that this is, he used this and, and showed his power to know what was going on in this woman's life to get her attention. And she immediately then takes point to where it's all like, Okay, you, you, this, this is the difference that is between us. I perceive that you're a prophet, but you're a prophet of the Jews, not a prophet of the Samaritans. And that it's all like, then what do you have to say about this? But please tell me, like, because this is the biggest conflict between our peoples. Well, tell me what, what, is, what is right in this situation. That's, she brings it up. Yeshua says to her this in verse 21. It says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know that what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Yeshua said to her, I who speak to you am he. And he called himself the Messiah because she was hearing this this prophetic word, this prophetic message. And it still was like, it's like, okay, he's saying all these things or whatever. And it's all like, okay, there's still some confusion here. Well, when the Messiah comes, he'll he'll clear this up. He'll clear this up because what you're saying, you're, you're sort of speaking in this sort of this, this riddle kind of somewhat. So uh, when the Messiah comes, he'll clear this up. And Yeshua is like, I am the Messiah. 
I am the one who is, who, who is saying these things to you and that I, that I now have spoken as the Messiah. What follows later is, is the woman becomes very excited. She has a testimony of him being the Messiah and she goes into the city and goes to share with all the people of the city what she has now learned and, and, and what happens is a great number of people are, are saved and, be, and believe because of this interaction. But what I find most interesting about this passage that is an incredible encouragement to us As we go back and we read the Old Testament, we read the Torah, and we see this instruction about Jerusalem and that we, you know, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem and that we pray um, for Israel and the modern state of Israel. And for those of us in the Messianic movement, we desire to one day be able to worship the Lord as we once worshiped Him before. And we want to, to be in Jerusalem and praise Him and worship Him, but we don't have Jerusalem. We don't have a temple. We don't have an altar. We can't worship Him as the Torah prescribes. And then you have the Samaritans over here that have Mount Gerizim, and they still believe that that's where the, the worship should be, but they still are fo- people who are zealous for following the commandments of God that they simply believe it's on this other mountain and that that's where it should be. And so then I'm sure the conflict in, in the first century might have been, well, it's like, okay, well, the Romans are, are, are here in control all the time, and, and it's all like, you, you know, do we really have, where should we worship? You know, it's like when Jerusalem fell, when the Jews went into Babylonian captivity. And it's like we didn't get to worship the Father then. And so what would happen if we were to lose our mountain or our place of worship? Well, the Messiah says that there will come a time, an hour that is coming. And then he says, and now is. This is that's always a very, very curious uh, phrase when the Messiah says that uh, the time is now. The time is now. The first century, the time was now to worship the Father in spirit and truth, and it's not about worshiping on one mountain or the other, because that's what he said. He said, well, you will, when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, but you'll worship the Father. That's the encouragement to us. In the, in, in the time and the place where we now live, we don't have Jerusalem to worship. And we're also not Samaritans, so we don't worship uh, at Mount Gerizim. So how do we worship the Lord? He said, so here, the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And such a worship is what is prescribed because God is spirit. And we got to balance spiritual and physical things. We got to balance praising Him in the spirit and also in truth. Truth being the, the, a, a physical construct that we understand that we, um, we have evidence that God has saved His people. We have evidence that God is the, the creator of heaven and earth. And so we, we believe truthfully in our mind that He is the Lord and He's worthy of worship. And so we might know all these things academically that He is God, but do we worship Him in spirit? Do our hearts cry out for Him? Do our emotions connect with Him to worship Him? Because He's asking for both. You can't have one without the other. You can't just systematically believe a set of creeds and doctrines and say, this is how we worship God, because we know God and we follow these commandments and we do these things all this way, you know, to the letter, uh, you know, to the T, and here we go, that we follow God. And we know that God is there then you're just a bunch of robots who don't ever cry out your heart. If you just do what your rabbi tells you to do, well, then are you, where's your spirit? Where's your zeal for the Lord? And that's not me particularly pointing directly to Judaism, but that's just what in some people, their heart to worship the Lord just isn't there with emotion or with the spirit. Then you have people that also worship him so spiritually over-spiritualize anything that there's no grounded nature to their religious beliefs. They have no custom. They have no tradition. They have no structure to worship the God of order, and it can be just become chaotic 
if you only worship the God in spirit. We have to worship in both spirit and truth. They both have to come together at the same time. And that's the balance that Yeshua is teaching us here and the encouragement for us in the world where we live in, where we can worship the Father in spirit and truth. We have to do both. We have to understand that both are necessary in the true worship of the Lord, wherever we might be, that it's not necessarily just about physical things. It's not about where we are, what mountain we're on worshiping Him. But what truly matters is where our heart is, where our mind is, and whether we are fully committed to worshiping Him and praising Him in all things that we do. That's what we need to do, and that's what we as believers and followers of the Lord need to recognize. We can talk about Jerusalem. We can talk about Mount Gerizim. We can talk about all these things, but ultimately, how do you worship the Father? Do you worship Him with your whole heart? Do you love Him with all of your heart, with all your soul? with all of your mind, all of your strength, all everything that makes you who you are, are you all in to worshiping the Lord? Or do you only dabble in it and it's only a weekend thing? Or just one part of you kind of like, oh, I know that God is God, but ultimately my heart is for something else. We need to make sure that we have that balance and that we truly are the fulfillment of this prophecy, that we might be the true worshipers of the Father who walk in spirit and in truth. In our Torah portion, we also have the passage and the instruction uh, back in uh, Deuteronomy that talks about a dreamer of dreams, those that would, um, uh, that would come and would be a false prophet that would mislead the people. Um, that passage uh, here is in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 13, where it teaches us that if there one among you rises up and becomes a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, gives you signs and wonders and all these things, but tells you to go and worship other gods, that you are not to follow them. And this is one of the biggest arguments that has ever been made coming out of mainstream Judaism as to why Yeshua is not the Messiah and why Yeshua is not the Savior and He is not the Son of God is because sometimes when we project Yeshua and what He came and what He did and what He taught, there are um, denominations of Christianity that very much have considered that Yeshua came, Jesus came, to do away with the law of Moses, to go following after another line of, of creeds and doctrines, and that these certain things here in the uh, Torah, in the Old Testament, those things are done away with. Well, if that's true, well, then according to Torah, then anyone who is promoting that particular testimony or that particular teaching um, should be killed and put to death because they are a prophet, a dreamer of dreams that is telling us to go and follow after other gods and is altering the customs of Moses and the teachings and the traditions of Torah. And according to Torah, that person is not allowed to live. They're a dreamer of dreams and they are promoting a false teaching and religion. The question we need to go back to is this, is did Yeshua come to do away with the customs of Moses and the law? The answer is no. By his own words, he says, I don't come to abolish, but I come to fulfill. To fill it up full of meaning, to make it perfect, to, to, to teach what is really truly going on. That's why he's here. That's what he's here for. And that's what his intention is. So this passage here is very fascinating in our Torah portion. So if you would now go with me to 1 John to chapter 4, because this exact same language is touched on here in the first letter of John, talking about us to beware of false prophets, false teachers, that it's like this is directly connected to the commandment back in Deuteronomy 13 that says, 
Be wary of people that might rise up from among you, even among your family, that somebody might show up and say they perform signs and wonders and, 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 and they say, God has sent me to do this and this is what we are now to do. But if that testimony is leading you away from something, that's when you have to be mindful of it. First John chapter 4, it says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Yeshua, Messiah, has come in the flesh, is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Yeshua, Messiah, has come in the flesh and is not, and is not of God, and this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now already in the world." You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is great in you is greater than he is who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God, and he who knows God hears us, and he who is not of God does not hear us. But this we know, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is where we're contrasting the, the, those that might rise up and has a spirit to teach something to teach encouragement, to teach strength, to teach something that somebody needs to hear. But if they come bearing a spirit that causes us to confess something against what Yeshua the Messiah has done and what He has come and His testimony is, then that's a spirit that's of the world. That's a spirit of Antichrist against the Christ, against Yeshua being the Messiah. And that anybody who comes along and tries to teach you and lead you in another direction... You need to be wary of those spirits and understand that that spirit is an error and not a spirit of truth. And that we obviously need to understand that the one we worship, the one that we follow, he is greater than all of those other spirits. He created all of those other spirits and he has dominion over all of those other spirits. And so if we have that spirit of God inside of us, inside of our hearts, then we too have power over all of those other things. And we can reject those things, the things of the world because of the spirit that is inside of us. This same contrast is, is very important. There is not a contradiction between Deuteronomy 13 and John 1, 4. 1 John, sorry, 1 John 4 is that when we sit here and we say it's all like, well, this one's talking about faith in the Messiah, and this one's talking about following the Torah and the law of Moses, and if we continue to go with basically what has been the teaching of men and the teaching of man-made world religions and says those two things are opposed to each other, so you have to choose one or the other. Is one leading you away from faith in Yeshua to go and follow and, and, and keep the commandments of Torah because you're rejecting that? That's the spirit of Antichrist. If you want to go follow the law and become legalistic, that's the spirit of Antichrist because it's taking you away from following Yeshua the Messiah. Oh, but if you follow Yeshua the Messiah, then, oh, you're just, you're just worshiping a man, and you're just worshiping somebody that says, we now have to pray to him, and he was not really God, and that that is, and, and we, he's came to, and he's altering the customs of Moses, and we're not supposed to keep the law if we follow the testimony of Jesus Christ. So then he's a dreamer of dreams, he's a false prophet, and the Torah is in conflict with Yeshua. The problem is, is those of us sit here in the Messianic movement, we're sitting on the bridge between the two, and we're just trying to not pull our hair out because of this conflict. When Yeshua was the Word of God, He was the Word that became flesh. And that, yes, that testimony of Yeshua, the testimony of salvation, is the same testimony that we need as followers of Torah. 
and that, we, that it's not in conflict. Now, if you say Yeshua came to alter the customs of Moses and take us away from the teachings of the law of Moses, well, then, yeah, we got a problem. But Yeshua didn't come to do that. You can be a believer in Jesus, the Messiah, and keep Torah and the commandments. In fact, belief in Him as our Savior is we know we need a Savior because we have transgressed the law. If there is no law, if we don't follow the law, then why is there a need for the Savior? Because there's no transgression of the law if it's been done away with. It's the same Bible, same 66 books. God is the same God of the Old Testament as He is of the New Testament. And when He sent His Son... He also is the lawgiver. He's not going to send his son to contradict and do away with the law and the covenant that he gave to his people and the covenant that is supposed to go to the children of Israel that then is supposed to go to the, all the nations, the covenant he gave to Abraham through him and his seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's the good news that all through the seed of Abraham, guess what? Yeshua was in the lineage and the line of Abraham. And that in his seed, the promised son, which, I, which Isaac was a symbol of, and Yeshua was the spiritual and physical fulfillment of, the promised son that would come and would, all the families of the earth would be blessed by his testimony, by believing in him. The two are not at war with each other. They are not contradicting each other. But we always have people on other sides of the ledger that are trying to lead us to one way or the other that we need to follow Torah, and then if you study, you study yourself right out of believing in Yeshua, even though you came out of the church, even though you have a testimony of being a born-again Christian, but you go far enough into studying Torah and teaching Torah, and you go far enough toward Judaism and what Judaism teaches, they'll tell you, well, you can't believe in Yeshua anymore. And then you have a spirit that is leading you away from a testimony that does not confess that Yeshua has come in the flesh, the Son of God. He is the Messiah, and He's our Savior. And if there's a spirit that's telling you that, they're in conflict with the scripture here. And then if you're rejecting the commandments of Moses and following after Yeshua, it's like all we have is grace, grace, grace. That's all we need. And we don't need any of those other things. Well, then by uh, the testimony of Deuteronomy and the words of Moses, then Yeshua uh, deserves to die. Let us be the ones, once again, that spirit and truth. Remember that balance that I was talking about before? that we need to sort of understand the balance between the two and not just go to one side or the other. You need both. That we can sit here and read the same Bible, read the same Scripture, and instead of thinking that they're always at, con at war with each other, let us think that they are speaking about the same thing. They're just saying it in a different way. We need to have that balance. We need to walk in spirit and truth, and we need to obey the commandments of God that He has given to us and following what the Yeshua was teaching us. And Yeshua was teaching us Torah. He was teaching us, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. On these two do all the law and the prophets hang. Not the saying we're doing away with it, but he's teaching us how. He's giving us the example of how to follow Torah rightly and appropriately. And this is the balance, of course, that we need to have. And we always be cautious. Any prophets, dreamer of dreams, charlatans that come and, and make a brand new YouTube channel. And man, what they just said was compelling and sensational. And what charisma did they have? Have you seen the teaching by so-and-so? Well, what is he teaching? What's the content? Well, he's teaching us that we need to do this and, and, and shun this and shun that. It's all like, hmm, I'm going to trust the word of the Lord. I'm going to trust what the Lord has already spoken to me and has taught me 
about these things so that we, so that I be that one that Yeshua spoke of, the worshiper that, that, that walks in spirit and in truth. The next, the, the next passage I want to go to, I want to talk about the theme really of our Torah portion. The title of it is Re'eh, which means see. See that I set before you blessing and curse. And that there is a, uh, there's a passage that is talking about how and trying to teach us to always be mindful of what we do. Here in Deuteronomy, we have a lot of these. Uh, sometimes it seems like the Lord, the, Moses is saying the same thing over and over and over again, talking about that, you know, follow these commandments. When you enter into the land, you know, do not turn away from you, the Lord. Do not have your eyes go lusting after other idols. And this whole theme and teaching of that our eyes can be deceiving is very prevalent in this Torah portion. Teaching us, of course, not to, uh, not to covet the gold and the silver and the idols of the, of the nations that you're going to go in and you're going to dispossess. And that there's a very specific verse all the way back here in uh, Deuteronomy 13 at verse 18. It says, Because you've listened to the voice of the Lord your God to keep all of His commandments, which I command you today, to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord your God. And see, ultimately, that's what we need to see is that well, everything that we do has to be right in the eyes of the Lord. Not right in our own eyes, but in what the Lord sees. And we know the Lord, He doesn't just have physical eyes that He sees what we physically do. He can see our heart. He can see our mind. He knows what's truly in our heart in the things that we do and the way that we act. And so we have to make sure that we're paying attention to what is right in the eyes of the Lord rather than what is right in our own eyes. And this teaching is, is given to us in the New Testament, of course, if we turn to Mark Chapter 9, where at verse 47 specifically, in fact, actually I want to read this whole, this whole passage here because this is talking about Yeshua that's warning us in the things that we do and warning us to not um, to be, mi- be mindful of our actions, to be mindful of the things that we do, and to pay very close attention to that. And in fact, Mark, you know, being one of the more, he was more of the, one of the more direct of the Gospels here. This entire passage is uh, convicting, to say the least. So let me actually start here at verse 42, and let's read what the Messiah is teaching us here of uh, Mark chapter 9. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to, if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were to be thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm, uh, their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Verse 45, and if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off, and it's better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into into hell fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Quite a... Very direct teaching here, and this wording is, is a little bit stronger than some of the other Gospels, where we already have been taught <coughs> excuse me, that our eyes can be deceiving. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God, not by sight, and that our eyes can very much deceive us, cause us to stumble. Of course, it's through the eye and the eye gate that much of our physical temptation comes against us. And that we have to be mindful of the things that we see and how we see and perceive things to be. 
As I said, our actions are very important. If your foot causes you to stumble, if your feet carry you to someplace you're not supposed to be, the Messiah's warning us, cut us off, cut it off. You'd be better to be lame than to fall into that sin. Or if your hand causes you to stumble, or if your eye, you'd be better to have one eye rather than two because your eye causes you to stumble. Now, I don't know if I, I've never met anybody that have actually done any of the things that the Messiah is, is suggesting. And in fact, you know, we might question one's sanity if somebody was to ever do that. But ultimately, what we're to be taught is this. Be mindful of your actions. Be mindful of the things you say, the things that you do. Hold yourself to a higher standard. Be careful of what you, where you let your eye wander to. Don't do what you feel is right in your own sight, because eyes can be deceiving. Let us follow what the Lord wants us to do and what we might see in His eyes. Our eyes, like I said, can, can, we, have to, we have to close our eyes, close our physical eyes, and open our spiritual eyes to see, to have the vision of what the Lord is trying to teach us. Let's go now to Matthew chapter 7. Here, starting at verse 1, it says this, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the the speck in your eye? And look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. This is the, the, the thing. Do not judge by what you see. One of my uh, great teachers that I love, my friend Brian Serrano, he said this. This is a quote attributed to him. That eyes have this ability to reflect. And sometimes if you see a speck in your brother's eye, That might simply be nothing in their eye but a reflection upon you and what's in your eye. If you have a plank and you have something that's hindering your sight and you see what you perceive to be a speck, it's like that's just a reflection upon you. There actually might not be anything wrong with your brother whatsoever. And that's something you have to be mindful of to, again, be careful what you see. Your eyes can be deceiving. What we need to do is we need to have equal weights and measures, have that balance, walking in spirit and truth, that when we judge somebody, we use honor, an honorable scale and a measure by which any judgment is made, because whatever method you judge one, that will come back upon you. You have to be careful of that. You need to be mindful of that. Be mindful of your actions and follow what the Lord has said. It's very simple. Moses laid this out. I lay before you blessing and curse. Choose what you will do. Will you follow what the Lord has said, who will give you life and give you everlasting life if you walk in a testimony of Yeshua? Or will you reject that? Will you choose death and curse and choose to not follow the words of the Lord? If you just follow your eyes, one might say, oh, but all that good stuff is over there. I'm just going to go ahead and go do that because your eyes have deceived you. But instead, set aside your own eyes. And look through yourself and see yourself as the, as the Messiah, as the Lord will see you. And what is right in His eyes for you to walk and for you to follow and for you to, in all the actions that you do. In the same way that our entire life, we're supposed to, as believers, set aside our physical life. Take up your cross and follow Him. Die unto yourself so that you can have the eternal life that He has to give. Reject the physical water to receive the spiritual water that when you drink of it, you'll never be thirsty again. Set aside your physical sight 
and all, even though it's all these things that you can see, set those things aside and let the Lord give you His spiritual vision and do what is right in His eyes. This is what we can learn from our Torah portion this week, and I pray that we would be blessed and we would be, once again, that people that walk in spirit and truth, that we will be the true worshipers of the Father, and that the hour is now for us to worship Him with the balance, understanding the spirit and the truth, the physical and the spiritual, and how we are to walk uprightly before Him with a testimony of Yeshua the Messiah and a keeper of His law and His commandments. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for this time and this teaching. Father, I pray that we would be blessed on this Sabbath day, be encouraged and strengthened. Father, we, uh, we, we bless You, Father, and pray that we could be the fulfillment of these prophecies, Lord, that we can be the people that the Messiah spoke of. Father, I pray that we would continue to dig into Your Word daily as it feeds us and nourishes us and blesses us. Um, Father, I pray that You would just make the words come alive and be powerful to us each and every time that we open the Scripture and have it not be a Sabbath thing, Lord. But Father, I pray that we would turn to Your Word and instruction in any time of need, and not just in a time of need, Lord, but also in times of peace as well. And may we turn to You and look to You in all things that we do. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Father, so that we act uprightly and appropriately before you. Give us your mind. Give us your emotions, Lord. And may we set aside our physical lives, Lord, to worship you and to walk uprightly before you. We bless you and we thank you on this Sabbath day. We thank you in Yeshua's name. We pray all of these things. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.
and bow down Kneel before the Lord our Maker Worship and bow down Kneel before the Lord our Maker Come and worship and bow down Kneel before the Lord our Maker for joining us this broadcast is made possible by the lord and the donations of brethren like yourself if you would like to give a donation to help keep this broadcast on the air please visit llgive.com thank you and shalom